You're listening to the Hillspring Church audio podcast. Hillspring exists so that all people can find and embrace a life of faith through Christ. For more information or to get involved, visit us on the web at hillspringchurch.org. We've come to the end of our series on Samson which is uh, a little bit sad. I've been enjoying the story of Samson. I love some of these Old Testament stories that are full of action. Uh, you know, they read like a, a good movie plot. And Samson was the incredible Hulk of the Bible, right? He is someone who was empowered by God with extraordinary strength. And he's called by God to separate himself from the rest of the world through a Nazarite vow. And let's go over it one last time, which involved what? No... No drinking, no consuming nothing of the vine. No cutting of hair and no touching death. Okay, excellent. All right. And so he was called to this Nazarite vow, called to be devoted to God through these three things. I mean, not he still had his obligations as, a, as an Israelite, as one of God's children. Uh, but in turn, God would use Samson to accomplish his purpose in the world by delivering the Hebrew people from the hand of of the Philistines. And the Philistines were these people who really represented evil in the world, uh, represented everything against God. They they had their own man-made gods that they served and worshipped, which uh, went completely against all of the things that God created created humanity to, to be, okay? So anytime we see the Hebrew or Israelite people up against the Philistines in the Bible, it's really this battle between good and evil. The Israelites were a nation called to follow God in faith, The Philistines were a nation opposed to God. But what becomes confusing about Samson is that he never really held up to his relationship with God, did he? Right? You know, he was someone who took what he wanted in life without regard for uh, what God wanted or the consequences for himself or those around him. He broke all three parts of the Nazarite vow. He ate honey scooped from the dead carcass of a lion. He held a week-long drinking party, consuming lots of things from the vine, lots of wine. And his hair was cut last week, I mean in the story last week, by Delilah. On top of this, though, Samson was angry, he was vengeful, he was lustful, and he was just self-indulgent. And as we saw last week, Samson's actions, they finally caught up with him, didn't they? His arrogance and his weakness for women led him to play around with sin, which ultimately controlled him and led to his enslavement. So how ironic is it that a man who was called by God to deliver his people, to deliver God's people from enslavement, which they were there because of their disobedience, that man himself was now enslaved because of his disobedience. And Samson's life has served over the past few weeks and throughout history as a warning against doing what is right in our own eyes, about ignoring God's desires for our lives in order to indulge in our own desires. But how often are our lives motivated by our self-interests? Now, how often do we find ourselves as people who are called by God to separate ourselves from the world and follow him, how often are the motives of our, or the, way, the actions of our lives shaped by our selfish motives, right? Each day, there are things that we do that are shaped by our selfish motives. Well, with this in mind, let's turn once again to the book of Judges, beginning at chapter 16, verse 23. 
We're going to see how Samson's story ends today. Let's pray as we do so. God, we, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that uh, when we seek you, we find you. When we ask for wisdom, that you give it to us. And so we just pray that as we open your word this morning, uh, that we would grow in our knowledge of what you've called us to in this world, in our knowledge of who you are, God. And uh, we just pray that you would uh, draw us to you as we seek you this morning and seek your word in your name. Amen. Well, when we left off, uh, as you can recall, Samson's hair was cut. It was the third and final part of his vow to God that was broken. And his strength was lost. He was captured by the Philistines who, uh, a little gruesome, but they gouged out his eyes. The very things that got him into trouble in the first place. Remember, he always saw things that he wanted, and then he took them. And now his eyes had been removed. And he was put to work by the enemy grinding grain. And so in Judges 16, 23 is where we pick up in the story. And it says, now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate. Saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. I mean, this is a song that sounds a lot like, like a Hebrew psalm praising the God who created everything. But now this is a song that they're singing to Dagon, their God. From the Hebrew, the Hebrew perspective, from Hebrew reading this story, this is as bad as things could ever get. This is the moment near the end of the Marvel movie, right? When the, the hero has been knocked down, right? And it looks like the enemy is about to be victorious or the enemy is looking like they are already victorious. And the Philistines, the enemies of God, they are celebrating. They believe that their God, Dagon, has delivered their enemy, Samson, into their hands, and they're singing this song of victory to their God. Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands. The one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. But on top of this, we read in verse 25 that while they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. And so they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. I don't know if he was juggling or eating fire. I, I, that's kind of what I picture him doing. Maybe fire, like eating fire kind of fits with his kind of character. But they were making a mockery of God's chosen one. This deliverer, they, they, they dragged him out and they're mocking the very man that God had chosen to deliver his people. And while this all was going on, we read in verse 26 that Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women and the rulers, all the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. So again, this is the scene where you can just picture this temple full of all of the leaders of the Philistines, crowds of people on the, on the top floor just mocking and jeering Samson as he's performing for them. The guy that had once inflicted some punishment on them was now captured, eyes gouged out, and they're just mocking him as he is performing for them like their puppet. 
And at this point, we're not really sure what's going on, but remember, Samson's blind, so he asks his servant to put his hands on the pillars of the temple that hold the temple up. And we can imagine, I think you can already imagine maybe what he might have in mind, but his strength is gone. But the tension is certainly building as the temple is full of God's enemies, as well as the rulers of the Philistine people. But then in verse 28, we read that Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And he tugged and he tugged and he just couldn't bring the temple down at the end. Now in Samson's weakest moment, he, he turns to God, recognizing that God is the source of his strength. He turns to God and he says, you know, God, I, I, just give me strength one last time and let me get revenge on the Philistines. He asks God to be merciful upon him and just grant him his powers one last time. And then it says that Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, embracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than while he lived. So this is that final scene in the movie where God's people have won in the end. And most, more importantly, God has won. God has won over evil. The temple of the false god Dagon has been destroyed. The rulers of the enemy have been destroyed, along with many of the Philistine people. And Samson is a hero right? But wait a second. We can't, I don't think we can overlook an important detail. I can't help but notice that, you know, even in Samson's final moments, Samson wasn't concerned about accomplishing God's purposes, but getting revenge for what he lost personally, his eyes. He still believed that the Philistines were responsible for him losing his sight, not his poor decisions. Do you ever have a, 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 you know, a, a conversation with your children? And they're like, this is why this happened to me. And you're like, no, your choices are why that happened to you, right? Well, this is, we all do that, don't we? We all look outside of ourselves for, you know, feeling the pain in our lives. But Samson was responsible for where he was. And so even in his last moment, when it seemed like it may be this act of remorse, he was looking to God for strength. And so, yes, he was right in, in recognizing that God was the source of power, but he wanted God's power to serve his own interests. He wasn't any different in his last moment. And frankly, this is what makes Samson's life, for me, so confusing, because while he's so dysfunctional and so self-serving, he's gone down in history as a hero of the faith. You know, the Apostle Paul writes about Samson and lists him along with the patriarchs and all the other heroes of the faith as being this great man of faith. You know, how could someone 
who possesses such blatant character flaws become a hero of faith. And I'll be honest, that, that's the same thing that sometimes troubles me when I look and I see people who are elevated as heroes in this world, heroes of the faith, and I'm like, and then you hear of their flaws and their failures, and you're just like, God, how can these people be lifted up as a hero of the faith? Does anyone else wrestle with that? Well, it's true that Samson was dysfunctional. And it's true that Samson failed to reflect the character that God desired for his life. But here's the thing, and here's what we must not miss in the story of Samson. And that's that, that God's plans prevailed despite Samson's flaws. That, that God accomplished his purposes in Samson's life, not because Samson did or didn't do all that God wanted him to do, but because God is God. And that God's plans will always prevail despite the flaws of his people. God wasn't dependent on Samson's character for his purposes to be fulfilled in the world. That doesn't mean it was okay for what Samson did, and Samson suffered the consequences for his choices. But God worked in the world and overcame the enemy despite Samson's character. And I don't even understand how God works that way, that he even seems to have worked through his dysfunction to continue to overcome the enemy. But God worked and accomplished his purposes despite Samson's character. And so it's actually not ironic that Samson's life mirrored the people of Israel who were also called by God and set them, to set themselves apart for his purposes in the world. It's not ironic that Samson's life mirrored the people of Israel who also, instead of following what God wanted, to serve their own interests and did, instead of remaining unwaveringly devoted to God. And it's not ironic that both Samson and the people of Israel suffered the consequences of their actions because Samson's life represented the people he was a part of. But the thing is that Samson's life, and this is what humbles us, is that his life reflects us as the church as well. That we are also called to set our lives apart from the world to follow God's ways and allow God to use us as a light in this world so that people may know who he is. And yet, so often we serve our own interests rather than remaining unwaveringly devoted to God. There's not one of us who can say it. We go through every day unwaveringly devoted to God. Our actions and our choices are often motivated by our self-interests, and we also experience the pain quite often for the choices that we make. But this is also the beauty in Samson's story, because while Samson lacked character. It's because of his lack of character that we, we learn this important lesson. And that is that God's plans in the world prevail despite the repeated failures of his people. That God's plans prevail in the world despite the repeated failures of his people, because God is the one who's in control God is the source of power and strength. He's not dependent on what his people have to offer. And so sometimes when I look, first of all, when I look outside of myself, which is wrong in the first place, and be like, you know, God, why, why would you use that person to build your kingdom? Somehow God still works in and through people to build his kingdom. But that's good news because somehow God continues to work in and through my life to build his kingdom, right? Because I am not unwaveringly devoted to God my whole life. And so I can't look elsewhere 
And I'm reminded through this that God's plans in the world prevail despite the repeated failures of his people. He works in and through the lives of his people, but he's not dependent upon his people to work out his purposes. And what are his purposes? Well, first of all, to save us, and then also to bring us to perfection through his son. We can't save ourselves. Our salvation's not based on our ability to to do everything that God calls us to do. And that's good news, isn't it? God has saved us through the forgiveness of sin that he provided through his son who gave up his life on the cross, bearing our sins rather than punishing us for them. We can't save ourselves and we will never perfect ourselves. But God will bring us to perfection through Christ. And that is also good news that should fill us with a lot of hope. This is what the Apostle Paul is explaining when talking about these heroes of the faith in the book of Hebrews, in his letter to the Hebrew people during the first century. In Hebrews chapter 11, 39, verse 39 and 40, Paul says these, speaking of all of these heroes of the faith, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, meaning they were all commended for their belief that God was the one in control, that God would fulfill his purposes in the world, even if they were dysfunctional. They remained uh, trusting in God to be the one who would bring victory over evil. And yet none of them received what had been promised. None of them attained perfection for themselves in the world since God had planned something better for us, talking about believers both in the first century, and this applies to us as well, God had planned something better for us so that only together with the heroes of the faith, people in the first century, the second century, throughout all history, would they be made perfect. These people were confident in God's ability to bring salvation, and God included them in his plans for the world, but he wasn't dependent upon them to accomplish his purpose of saving the world and leading us to perfection. And that's a good thing because that means that we can have confidence or faith in God. That despite our failures, that God will save us and God will bring us to perfection one day along with every other flawed person throughout history. And Paul continued his letter to explain what the so that is. So if we know that then, he explains in Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people who live by faith in the past, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Not us. We're not the pioneers or the perfecters of our faith. It's only Christ. And for the joy set out before him, talking about Christ, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so with this understanding that God's purposes prevail in the world, regardless of our ability to attain perfection on our own, regardless of our failures, we need to remember that we shouldn't give in to sin, but don't lose heart because of it. You know, all along we've been looking at Samson's life and reminding ourselves, you know, God has called us to be separate from the world. That is true. And we've looked at how Samson has made these poor choices, and then we remind ourselves, we make poor choices as well. And that's true. And we see how Samson makes 
poor choices and then also experiences the consequences of, our, of his choices. And we too experience the consequences of our choices as well. And that's painful. And that's true. But if we stop there, sometimes we can become extremely discouraged because we recognize how sinful of people we really are. And we are. We're flawed, broken people. And so we shouldn't give in to sin, but we also shouldn't lose heart because God is the one that is in control, not us. And we're not responsible to attain perfection for the world that God is working through the midst, in the midst of our failures and our flaws to bring people who have faith in him to perfection. And that is amazing. And that should fill us with hope. That you and I are sinners along with everyone else throughout history. Your sin will cause struggles in life, so don't give in to it. It's not going to help you in life. God has shown us a better way to live, and he calls us to follow him because our lives are better when we do. But don't give up because of the sin in your life. You know, don't lose heart. Don't think you're such a failure that God just can't work in your life anymore or do anything in your life or accomplish his purposes through your life because it's simply not true. If God can accomplish his purposes through Samson, and if Samson could go down in history as a hero of faith, surely God can work in your life. And surely God can work in and through my life as well. And so we need to remember that perfection is coming along with everyone else who trusts in God. So keep up the good fight. You know, keep resisting sin. Keep, keep pushing it out of your life. Keep striving to follow God. But in those moments when you feel so beaten down and discouraged because of the pain and suffering in your life, because of the choices that you made, because it seems that you just can't, you know, you continue to go back and make poor decisions, you don't give up. You know that God loves you. God is in control. God has already planned the course of history out and he's in the process of seeing it through and he will see it through regardless of your failures, he just continues to call you to trust in him and to seek him and to follow him. Trust in his forgiveness day after day. Look to him to guide you day after day, knowing that things are going to be great in the end. All right, would you stand with me? Femi, I'm going to invite you to come over as well, but uh, let's just pray. God, we thank you for your word. And God, before we even move forward this morning, I want to pray for everyone in this room who, God, may be struggling with sin, may be wrestling with it, God, who wants to follow you, who trusts you, who believes in you, who knows you are our God and you're in control, but is so discouraged this morning from repeatedly falling to the point that maybe there are people in this room that would feel like they just what's the point of getting up again because they don't see how you could ever love them, let alone work in their lives. And so God, I thank you for this reminder this morning that God, you are the one in control. You are the one who has forgiven us. You are the one who is going to bring our world to perfection and our lives to perfection. And it's your love that, that accomplishes your purposes through us, not our ability you don't depend on our human ability, God. And so, God, I pray that anyone who is struggling this morning may be encouraged this morning that, that you love them, that you are in control, and that you will work in their lives and through their lives regardless of their failures, God. God, we put our hope and our trust in you alone. 
And as we keep our eyes on you, God, we pray that you would lead us more and more and that you would work in our lives to make us more like you, we pray in your name. Everyone said, amen, amen.